kicking off a brand new series today. It's called Moments That Make Us. All right? Uh, have you ever failed at something, like big time fail? Uh, hopefully you've never failed at something like these guys are about to do. kind of relate. We had a bunch of trees in our backyard that were like overhanging our house and like huge trees. And so we had to like have a professional crew come in. I think that was a professional crew, <laughs> but uh, our guys didn't drop them on our house or my neighbor's house, thankfully. Uh, but we had one tree that uh, after they had taken out all the big ones, uh, I thought I could get by myself. Uh, so my brother was in town um, and it wasn't a huge tree either. It was like probably like this big around but it was really, really tall. So it was probably like a good 60, 70 foot tall tree. So not super wide, but I mean, you know, tall. And we had just built something in the backyard and uh, it was kind of leaning that way and we didn't want it to fall and, and destroy that. So uh, my stepdad thought he knew how to, you know, cut it down and notch out the tree the way you're supposed to. And uh, so we had put up a big rope to make sure that we could pull it in the direction we wanted it to fall. So I was on the rope. So I know you're like, well, by himself, he probably could have toppled the tree. But uh, my brother, who's six foot four, uh, got a little bit more height than me. He's the one that was actually going to handle the actual strength of doing this. Uh, we start to cut, and that tree starts to blow the wrong way. And we are unsure what to do because we can see it starting to happen. So my brother and I actually grab the rope and really try to dig in. Look, neither one of us were strong enough to really hold the thing, uh, but we got it from falling, and uh, I told Dante, I was like, dude, you've got to hang on, like, don't let go, which is probably the dumbest thing he could have done is listen to me, right? Because you hang on to a tree on a rope, and that thing starts to go, you're just going to get thrown, like, that, that's not, but he did, uh, that's what little brothers do, they listen, and uh, so I ran to the front yard, grabbed my uh, stepdad's truck, ran back into the backyard, and we were able to hook that thing up, and it fell, and nobody died. So that was like a huge success for us. Uh, but there are other failures in our life that happen that uh, aren't quite as minor as a house getting broken. Now you're like, that's not minor. No, that's not minor, but there are other failures in our life that can actually be way worse. Uh, failures that, quite honestly, we don't ever anticipate are, are going to happen. Uh, things that we promised ourselves we would never do. Sometimes it's a small failure that leads to another small failure, and next thing you know, your life is a, a complete mess. And you're wondering, how did I get here? Uh, can I get back? Uh, can I ever be used again? You see, some moments in life can destroy us, but other moments in life can make us. And so we, we're going to talk over this next uh, about six weeks uh, on some different moments that make us. And this morning, I want to have a conversation on uh, how do we recover from failure? 
Uh, next week, we're going to talk about, is change possible? Uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about how to change. And uh, we're going to look at a few other moments that make us. Some moments, though, it feels like they destroy us, right? And so we're left asking the question, how do we recover from failure? And this is like a question that almost every single major character in the Bible had to answer. I mean, it's shocking, quite honestly, when you read the Bible. Uh, If I was going to write and make up stories uh, that were going to become like a religion, all right, I would make all of my heroes like live amazing, perfect, unbelievable lives. And yet, in the Bible, almost all of the major characters have huge flaws, major failures in their life. Starting at the very beginning, Eve. Failure, right? She eats what she's not supposed to. Abraham, uh, he tries to tell uh, a dude that his wife is his sister so that he doesn't get killed. Total lack of faith in God, failure. Uh, Moses gets so angry at at the people of God, uh, disobeys God, doesn't get to go into the promised land, failure. Rahab, prostitute, much of her life, failure. David, supposed to be the greatest king ever, massive failure, murders a guy after he cheats with his wife. Elijah does this amazing thing, sees God do this uh, unbelievable miracle, and then runs uh, in hopeless fear just days later, failure. Mary Magdalene, disciple of Jesus, but who had uh, seven demons that lived inside of her before she met Jesus. Life that had failure. And, of course, my favorite failure character, Peter. Which is actually who we're going to be looking at this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, open up to John chapter 21. If you'd like a Bible, uh, we've got some folks that would love uh, to bring you one. Uh, And so if you could just raise your hand, someone will just kind of walk down the aisle. They'll make sure that you get a Bible you can follow along with. Uh, But before I jump into that, I want to talk about something I said last week uh, for those of you that were here. Um, For those of you who weren't, I'll just fill you in. I I said everybody kind of falls into three categories, all right? So you have uh, A, B, or C. A is uh, you're a follower of Jesus. You have a relationship with Christ. You're growing in that relationship with Christ. It's where you're at right now. B is uh, you don't ever intend to become a follower of Jesus. Uh, You don't believe that the resurrection is real uh, or that Jesus can do what churches always say he can do. Uh, You never intend to follow Jesus. And then uh, C, uh, you think at some point in your life you'd probably like to become a follower of Jesus, not just like a church thing or a religious thing, but like a real relationship that you have with him. And I think when we think through those, all of us internally in our minds, you're probably right now like putting yourself in one of those categories. You're like, I'm an A, I'm a C, I'm a B, I'm a... Like we just naturally tend to do that. And uh, last week I shared a story with you, uh, and I said this week I would share a story with you from somebody who was a B. Somebody who thought, I, I, I'll never be a follower of Jesus. I don't think he's real. I don't think it's true. And I'd like to share her story uh, with you as we, before we jump into the text. Uh, her name's Celia. 
Uh, Celia's been coming to TLC a little over a year now, and uh, she shared her story with me uh, this past week. Uh, grew up here in uh, Michigan. When she was young, um, she wasn't always a bee. Uh, she wasn't always in that category where she uh, never intended to follow Jesus, didn't think he was real. Uh, she actually grew up going to church. Uh, when she was really young, she prayed a prayer, but quite honestly for her, church, she said, was just like this uh, thing that felt like a bunch of rules and regulations, and uh, she could never really live up to the expectations that other people had of her or what she thought God must want, and she just felt like, he, well, like she was always being judged, and uh, she found herself uh, really kind of um, beginning to separate from the faith that her parents had. Uh, she's the middle child of three. She has an older sister and a younger sister. And she said that with that shame uh, began to uh, come also with it insecurity uh, of who she was, whether she could live up, what other people thought about her. And uh, she found herself kind of pulling back more and more into uh, her own shell, but that would just make her angry. And so she kind of became like a little piece of dynamite within her family um, where she uh, would often blow things up. Uh, by the way that she treated her sisters, or by the way that she treated her parents, and uh, she found herself uh, feeling uh, even a little bit more kind of depressed and, and angry, and uh, when she got into high school, uh, she found that if she drank a lot of alcohol, um, that uh, she would kind of forget about that. And so she found herself uh, moving towards that every opportunity she had. Uh, she would uh, drink to forget. Uh, she would drink to feel as though she had uh, some sort of courage. She would drink to make herself feel as though people would like her. Um, and so that just kind of became her MO all throughout high school. Now, she still kind of did the church thing because her parents went and she kind of had to go, but she really didn't believe that uh, Jesus was real and everything just kind of felt fake to her. And uh, so she graduated from high school and went off to college. And for her, it was all about like career and what I'm going to you know, become, uh, but she found herself falling into the same patterns. So while she was in college, every single weekend and a lot of weeknights uh, became trips to the bar uh, where she could just simply party. Uh, it got to the point that every weekend was just simply a desire to just go and get blackout drunk. And that's really kind of how life continued. Uh, when you're getting blackout drunk, you're not making very good decisions with friends or the people that you're hanging out with. And, and this was very true of uh, Celia, and she graduated from college. Uh, got her first job in uh, Grand Rapids and moved here, uh, hoping that maybe now something can be different. She didn't like who she was. She didn't have any real friends. She just had people that she went drinking with. She started to think to herself, man, I, I, I really don't like what I've become. I don't want this anymore, but she didn't know how to change. In fact, she said she didn't think that um, she could because she kept trying and kept failing. And she remembers uh, being in GR and thinking to herself, man, I really wish that I could like kind of settle down. Like I'd like to not be in this lifestyle anymore. I'd, I'd love to meet a guy, not these, uh, as she described, hood rats that she was always hanging out with. And she said, I, I, want a, I want a real man. And she said, but I didn't think anybody could actually love me. She said, I felt like I'd make, made too many mistakes. No one, no one would actually want me for me. So she, uh, she said, I, I really decided I was going to try to change. And uh, that would work for a week or two, and then she, some stress would come up at work or something relationally, and she would decide, I'm just going to go and get hammered and, and black out and, and kind of leave everything behind. Uh, she said one particular weekend, 
uh, she felt like she'd been doing really good. It had been a few weeks, and she's like, oh, maybe something's changing, and then something happened at work, and she just grabbed her roommate and her little sister, and they went out and just got hammered, and there was a huge fight that ensued, and she made some decisions that she regrets, and uh, wound up the next morning thinking to herself, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do anymore. Have you ever been there? Have you ever, like, had so many regrets, mistakes, failures that you're like, nobody can love me. Like, there's, like, I can't do this. I'm not sure, I'm not sure even where to turn anymore. Uh, I have. <laughs> Maybe not the exact same ones that, that Celia has, but I, I've, I've got times and spaces in my life where I feel like, man, would God even, would God even like me anymore? Could God ever use me? Like, I feel like I've blown it, you know, too many times. Have you ever felt that way? Wondered, like, is there still hope for me? Uh, Peter, in the story we're about to look at, uh, gets this. Uh, Peter feels this. Uh, You see, Peter himself uh, was, for those of you, I guess, let me go back and give a little bit of background on who Peter is, Uh, because if you're new to Church and Christianity, like, who's Peter? Let me tell you. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. So Jesus chose 12 disciples. And the way uh, that Jesus actually chose Peter, Peter was a fisherman. All right? Uh, Probably generations of fishermen. Peter knew how to fish. It's what he did. Uh, Peter grew up around the Sea of Galilee, which is in the northern part of uh, Israel. Uh, Beautiful. It's called the sea, but it's like you can see across to the other side of it, okay? It's not even like Lake Michigan. It's more like, you know pond of Galilee or something, but uh, there's a lot of fish in there, and that's where he grew up, his family, and he was a fisherman, and uh, Jesus had his eye on Peter, and so one day, uh, Jesus is going to call Peter and invite him to be his disciple, someone who's going to follow Jesus, right? So Peter's out fishing, and Jesus calls out to Peter and the other guys that were in the boat, like, yo, did you guys catch anything? And they hadn't caught anything, and Jesus says to him, throw your nets out in the deep water, which is stupid. Because that's not where the fish are, okay? You can't catch fish in the deep water. What the fishermen would do is they would actually uh, uh, use a couple different boats. They would kind of corral schools of fish with some big nets into shallower areas. And then they would throw nets in in those shallower areas. And that's how they'd catch the fish. So when this weird dude, who's not a fisherman, right? He's a carpenter. And and he's telling them, throw your net into the deep water. They're like, man, this... Idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but we didn't catch any fish, so what do we got to lose? They throw it in there, and there's this miraculous haul of fish. They catch so many fish that the net can't even hold it. And Jesus then calls to Peter, and he says, come and follow me. I want to make you a fisher of people. So Peter does that very thing. In fact, Peter's kind of like the leader of the disciples, all right? He, he's kind of like the go-to. It's like Jesus, and then you got Peter. He's the one that's always willing to like step out and do whatever needs to be done. He's willing to like say whatever needs to be said, but that actually gets Peter in trouble quite a bit. Like He has all kinds of failures as he's trying to follow Jesus. In fact, one time, Jesus has explained to the disciples that he's going to uh, be killed, and Peter starts to pull Jesus aside. like, yo, gee, it's us. That's not how it's going to go down, man. Like, you're not going to die. You're going to be the king. You're going to be the Messiah. 
like you, 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 you just, you don't understand the scriptures as well as I do, <laughs> he says to the one who wrote the scriptures. And uh, Jesus has to say to him, Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God, you have in mind the things of men. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He's, he's making mistakes. But his heart's kind of in the right place. Like, that, like that's what it feels like most of the time. Until a Peter's biggest failure. On the last night, Jesus is telling the disciples again that he has to go away. He's going to be crucified. And Peter again is like, yo, Jesus, I don't care if anybody else leaves you. Like, I'm your ride or die. Like, we are in this together. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anyplace. Like, I'm with you. And Jesus says to Peter, Jesus, uh, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the end of the night. Peter's like, psh. And uh, it's awesome, right? Because Jesus is praying and the disciples are there and Judas comes back to betray Jesus into the garden. He's got all the, the guards with him and they go to arrest Jesus and Peter's about to show that he's like legit, like he's for real. So pulls out his sword, goes to hack off dude's head like we about to fight. I told you, Jesus, I'm your ride or die. And he cuts off bro's ear. Jesus looks over at Peter like, bro, if I needed a, a thousand angels, ten thousand, a hundred thousand angels, I could call them down right now. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he picks up dude's ear off the ground, puts it back on his head and, and, and heals him. It's crazy. And all the disciples are like, what do we do? We freaking out. They're arresting Jesus and they bolt, they run, they scatter. At Jesus' most vulnerable time, the disciples scatter, just as Jesus said. Peter's kind of hanging out at the fringes, though. Right? He's hanging out at the fringes. He walks into Caiaphas's courthouse. Caiaphas is the high priest. That's who's going to preside over Jesus' first trial. It's a big courtyard. People are warming themselves by a fire. Peter's kind of in there trying to like see what's going on. He doesn't know what's happening in the house. But sometimes Jesus is getting led back out to the courtyard. He's trying to at least stay close. But somebody comes up and is like, yo, like I hear you talking. Like you sound like you're from Galilee, bro. Like you got that weird northern accent. Like are you one of his followers? Are you that Jesus? Like you? And Peter's like, man, I don't even know that cat. Like I don't know him. And then like this, this, uh, this servant girl walks up and is like, yeah, but, but I'm pretty sure, like, that I saw you with him the other day. And Peter's like, man, shut up. You don't know nothing, little girl. I don't know that, man. I'm not with him. And then, and then finally somebody else is like, no, 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 no. I swear, like, you were with him in the garden. We're like, when we just arrested Jesus. You are one of his, and, and, and he swears. I tell you, bleepity bleep, I don't even know that man. Don't even pretend like I'm with him. And it says at that moment, the rooster crows. And in one of the Gospels, it says that Jesus happens to be in the courtyard at that point, and their eyes lock, and he remembers what Jesus said. And he has just denied Jesus three times. And the text says, then, that Peter does what all of us do when we blow it, when we fail. He runs in shame. He walks out of the courtyard, and he runs in shame. This is what we do when we fail. We run from Jesus in shame. Uh, this has been happening since the beginning of time. Uh, Adam and Eve disobey. God's like, yo, I'm setting you up in this sweet garden. 
It's got everything you need. It's going to be amazing. We're going to do this thing together. We're going to build civilization. I'm going to be with you. It's going to be awesome. There's just this one tree called the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat of it yet, so don't eat that one right now. And uh, everything else, though, is cool, all right? Just that one. And then, and then this, this snake, the serpent, Satan comes in the front and he says, did God really say that to you? <laughs> and Eve disobeys God with Adam like a little punk right next to her. She takes a bite. She's like, yo, it's really kind of good. And he's like, oh, he eats it too. And then what happens? What do they do? They try to hide. They try to hide from God, <laughs> which is kind of funny when you think about it, right? But all of us do that, don't we? We all hide from God when we failed because we're embarrassed and we're ashamed. And so God comes walking in the garden like he does every day to walk with Adam and Eve. And he's like, where are you guys? Not that God doesn't know. He knows. It's like the little two-year-old that like, is playing hide-and-seek. And they literally just run, you know, five feet away, and they're still out in broad daylight, but they cover their eyes, you know, like, you can't see me. No, I can see you just fine. <laughs> you just can't see me. But that's how we do, right? And that's exactly what Peter does. When we fail, we run from God in shame. And this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 21. Uh, now, at this point, Jesus has been resurrected from the grave. He's met the disciples twice, one time uh, on Easter Sunday, that first evening, and then the following week on Sunday, he meets all the disciples with Thomas there, and now this is, we're going to find out, the third time that Jesus meets them. The disciples have now gone back home to Galilee, because they were in Jerusalem for the festival, and now they're back home in Galilee. This is probably a week later, and uh, we pick up the story. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. See, look, Peter's still like the de facto leader. Like he's blown it worse than any of them. But he's the leader, and so he's like, yo, I, I, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. Which is kind of funny, because you're like, yo, bro, you saw like resurrected Jesus twice. But he's like, I'm a fisherman. It's what I know how to do, so I'm not sure I can still be used. I can at least go fishing. He's like, I'm going fishing. Some of the other disciples are like, cool, man, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> I love Jesus. He's like just punking them a little bit. He knows they ain't got no fish. Yo, did you guys catch anything? You ever talk to fishermen while they're fishing out on the river? Did you get anything yet? Nope. <laughs> no, they answered. Verse 6, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Does this sound familiar? Sound like a story maybe you've already heard once before? And it's crazy, right? Because uh, Jesus calls out to them, and at first they don't know. Now, we're going to find out in a minute that they're about 100 yards offshore, all right? And so Jesus, he calls out to them, and they don't recognize that it's him. And he's like, yo, did you catch anything? They're like, no. He's like, throw the net on the right side of the boat. 
these boats are probably about five foot wide, six foot wide. They're not that wide, okay? If you're not catching nothing on the left side, you're not going to start catching stuff on the right side, okay? But they haven't caught anything. Who's this idiot trying to tell us how to fish? Like, we grew up fishing, like, but they throw it in, and then it's this miraculous haul of fish again. You see, when we fail, we usually try to hide. We run from Jesus in shame, right? We wear camo sweaters. <laughs> but what Jesus does when we fail is Jesus calls out to us. I had the privilege of being in Israel uh, a little over a month ago, and uh, I got to be in that very place where this story happened. Uh, this is a picture uh, of that we think this is the almost exact place that this happened. Uh, that's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you can see pretty much all the way across it. This is at the northern end. And uh, they were about 100 yards out. So um, just kind of figure about a football field out into the water is where they're doing their fishing. And Jesus would have been on shore like one of these people. And uh, Jesus calls out to them. Uh, you see, when, when we fail, we want to run and hide. We think we can hide somehow. We, we just don't want to engage with Jesus. But here's the thing. When we fail, Jesus doesn't hide himself from us. Jesus actually comes calling for us, just like God did for Adam and Eve. Jesus calls out to them. John 21, 7 through 15. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. So Peter's in his skivvies, all right? They've been fishing through the night. They get this miraculous catch of fish. They know exactly who it is, because this isn't the first time that this has happened to them. John's like, yo, that's, the Lord, that's Jesus. Peter knows it. Peter throws on his coat, jumps into the water. I actually think Peter probably thought he was about to walk on water. Like He's like, I'm jumping in. I've done this before, I'm going to run to Jesus, and he jumps in and he sinks, like normal Peter. And uh, he's like, all right, I'm swimming. So he swims on in, okay? Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, the last time we have heard about a fire with burning coals is at Caiaphas' house, where Peter is warming himself around the fire and three people come up to him and ask him if he knows Jesus and he denies Jesus. And now Jesus has created a fire of burning coals where he is cooking some fish on it to meet Peter. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was so full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You see, what does Jesus do when we fail? Jesus calls out to us. And how do we recover? How do we recover from failure? We run to Jesus in trust. That's what Peter does. Peter's got to be thinking like, yo, Jesus told me I was supposed to be the rock that he was going to build his assembly on. 
but I've blown it. Like, I, 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 in Jesus' greatest time of need, I, I denied him. He can't use me again. And so Peter's out fishing, and Jesus calls out. Peter comes running. You see, if you want to know how to recover from failure, you run to Jesus. You trust in his love. You trust in the fact that he's not going to be there with a Bible bat to beat you up and shame you and knock you down. He's going to be there to love you, to tell you that he will forgive you again because he is a God who doesn't stay far but rather comes near. He is a God who opens himself up, who calls out to us, who wants to engage in relationship, who wants to forgive. It was Jesus who said you're supposed to forgive 70 times 7. Who better to show us how that actually looks than Jesus himself? And that's what he's actually doing right here in this story. Uh, So Celia had gone out that weekend and was so just overwhelmed with failure that the next morning she's just like, I don't even know what to do. And she's angry and she feels as though she has no hope and no purpose. And uh, she said, the next day I'm at the gym. And it was late at night. She went because she's expecting nobody else is there. She didn't know what to do. She was just so angry. She's actually taking it out on the equipment, like going all in on that elliptical, all right, or whatever it was. And she, and, but there's this, there's, this, there's this guy there that uh, was a friend of hers. She'd known him not really well, but they ran, had ran into each other a few times over the course uh, of the last year. And he noticed just this anger. And he felt like God say, I want you to go talk to her. And so he walked up and started, a stroke, started to strike up a conversation, and she didn't want nothing to do with him. She's like, oh, my goodness, what is this dude doing? Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. Uh, and he's like, hey, what's going on? And after trying to get him away, but he didn't, uh, she finally found herself all of a sudden just starting to unload. And she starts sharing, like, my life's a mess. And I don't know how to do anything about it, and I haven't been able to, and I'm just so angry right now. And, and uh, he says, my life was like that too. Uh, I used to party a lot and uh, found myself trying to fix myself, and, and I tried, and I couldn't, and I kept failing. And he said, and, and then, uh, then I met Jesus, and Jesus has transformed me and is still transforming me. And he's like, you're never going to be able to do it on your own. But if you give your life to Jesus, uh, you can see what he can do. Now all of a sudden she's, she's at this gym talking to some dude she doesn't want to talk to. And all of a sudden now she can't even stop the tears. Like just tears just start to come. And their conversation ends. And uh, she's like, I didn't even know what to do. Uh, she's like, I walked into this. They had this little yoga studio and nobody was in there because it was at night. And she's like, I just started weeping and crying. And like, God, if you're real, if you're there, you got to do something. Uh, you see, I said she was in that B category and never and wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, when she went away to college, uh, her mom had given her a Bible. And uh, she literally had not opened it once. Uh, she still had it. She's like, I don't even know why I kept, kept the thing, like, it, between moves and stuff. But uh, I still had it. She's like, I never opened it. She's like, I can remember a time when my mom called me, and I was so anti-Jesus, didn't think it was real. She thought the whole thing was just made up and, and fake and, and stupid and my mom called me, and I was telling her about some difficult thing that had happened. And she's like, well, honey, have you prayed? And she's, she said, I, I finally just said it to my mom. Are you serious? You know Jesus isn't real, right? And now here she is in a yoga studio 
with nobody around at night. Some weird dude just said, if you want, if you want your life turned around, you're going to have to give it to Jesus. And she's crying out to Jesus. And she said, I went home, and for the first time in years, she's like, I was able to find this Bible. I had never opened it before. I started opening up and reading, and I started praying. She's like, and then I started to become that girl. She's like, the girl I never wanted to be like, that like likes Bible studies and listens to praise and worship music. She's like, I started driving around in my car, and I'm listening to praise and worship music, and, and, and like I'm weeping because she's like, I've just never experienced grace like this. All of a sudden, like there's this weight started to lift off, and, and, and she's like, it was like insane. And uh, I was talking to Celia about her story uh, just this past week, and I said, Celia, uh, A, would you mind if I shared it? And I said, um, B... How has Jesus changed your life in the last two years? Like, what's been different about it since you ran to Jesus? And uh, she told me some awesome things, and I said, it'd be one thing for me to share it, but I'd love it if you could share it. And so, Celia, I don't know where you're at. There she is. Uh, I, I asked Celia if she'd come up and, and just answer that question. Since she started running to Christ, what's been different? What's been different? <laughs> um, uh, these past few years, I feel like ever since I've been following Jesus, um, everything's been different. I feel like I have this sense of relief and I have this sense of purpose and joy and I have been able to let go of all of my past mistakes and failures and people I've hurt and I'm able to walk in freedom because of that and because of what Jesus has done and I just feel like honestly a completely different person and I know that he's continuing to make me a new person every single day and I'm not finished yet and I still make mistakes but I I am never going to turn back and mm. Uh, tell, tell, so that's awesome, by the way. It's so cool. Uh, and you're not crying yet. So that's amazing because she couldn't stop in the first service. It's awesome. But it's coming. I can already see. Sorry. I probably started now. Um, so you talked about what your relationship was like with your family uh, yeah. before. What, what's it like now? It is a lot better. Um, I've definitely worked on my relationship with my parents and it's been really great just getting to know my mom like as a person and not just like jumping down her throat every two seconds or um, being able to actually pour into my sisters and be a good big sister for the first time, I feel like. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Celia, thank you. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit. You can give her a hand. Thank you. Um, So Jesus restores us, but he always restores us for a purpose. Um, and I want to share a little bit about Celia's story in, in just a second, but I want to keep reading on what Jesus does in Peter's life, same thing that he did in Celia's life, but I want to explain it, uh, what Jesus says here. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than this miraculous catch of fish? Do you love me more than the fishing trade? Do you love me more than what you can get? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, Jesus didn't have a flock of lambs and sheep, okay? He's talking about the people that would be followers of his, all right? Other disciples of Jesus, like Peter, I need you to kind of shepherd them, all right? Take care of them. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Like, you just asked me, and I answered it, and you're asking me again, what's up? Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you or tie you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus restores Peter. You see, when Peter turns and comes to Jesus, right, instead of hiding, instead of running away, instead of trying to figure it out on his own, Jesus calls out to Peter, just like he's doing to anybody here today, and Peter turned and ran to him, and when he does that, Jesus embraces Peter and restores Peter. But he didn't simply restore Peter so that Peter could have a nice life, right? It's not so that Peter could have a nice life and meet a nice woman and have a nice wife and nice kids and a nice house and a nice cul-de-sac, right, with a nice car and a nice dog and nice job and nice, 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 nice. Jesus doesn't restore us just so that we can have a nice life. Jesus restores us so that we can have a life that matters. Jesus doesn't restore us to give us a life that is nice. Jesus restores us to give us a life that matters. And a life that matters in Jesus' eyes is a life where we're telling other people how they can know and find Jesus. You see, he restores Peter for a purpose. He's like, yo, Peter, I love you. I still believe in you. I believe in you even when you don't believe in yourself. You're not washed up. Did you screw up? Yeah, you screwed up. Welcome to the club that everybody else is in besides me, because I'm Jesus. But Everybody else is going to be in that club, Peter. And if you'll turn back to me, I'll restore you. But I have a purpose for my restoration. It's not just so that you can have a nice life and enjoy things. It's actually so that you can tell other people and show them what you found. Show them what you've experienced. Jesus restores, but always for a purpose. So, I want to ask and close with two questions. Right? Uh, a lot of times I think we assume Jesus is all about like, hey, just come to me and like, and then find your zen, find your chill. Like, you know, don't, don't get too crazy with the whole Jesus thing. Don't turn into that girl that Silly was so afraid of becoming, right? Bible study girl, worship music girl, right? And I think we all kind of feel that way. Like, oh, like love Jesus, but don't love him too much, right? Don't get too crazy. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Like, I want all of you. I want all of you. Trust me. I've got a reason for what I'm about to do in your life. So there's two questions we need to close with. Are you still running from Jesus in shame, or will you turn towards him today and trust in his love for you? I, I, I know some of you, but I don't know most of you, and I don't know what God's doing right now. In the last service, there was a gal uh, who came forward after the service and was like, I, I've been running. And this <laughs> she prayed to receive Christ, and, and it literally in her prayer, uh, she said, God, I'm so tired of being a cynical turd, which that's the first time I've ever heard anybody say cynical turd in a prayer to God, but it was awesome, and I loved it. And uh, I, I don't know where you're at, but if God's talking to you, and I, I know you know it, 
You can feel it. You can't stop thinking. God's speaking into your heart, into your mind. Your heart's thumping. Uh, your gut's turning. It's because Jesus is calling. Jesus is saying, hey, you're not too far gone. doesn't matter what you've done. I love you. Come back. Come to me. Give me your burdens. Give me your failures. Let me transform you because you can't do it on your own. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be tough. It's going to require some boldness. Uh, but I'm going to stand down here afterwards, and Celia's going to stand down here too. And uh, if you need to come to Christ, if you need to come and say, look, I'm turning, I'm coming, uh, I want to come down, I want to pray with you to receive Jesus this morning, all right? So that's going to be the crazy thing that uh, I think God's probably speaking to some of you today. Today's the day. Uh, for a lot of you, though, you, you, you've been following Jesus for a long time, right? Jesus is restoring you. He has restored you. Maybe you've walked away for a time and you're coming back to him and, and Jesus is restoring you like he's restoring Peter, but he always restores us for a purpose. So the second question is, if you're restored, who are you helping find Jesus? This isn't just about you. This isn't about you having a great life. Like Jesus wants to give that to you, but part of you experiencing that life is actually sharing it with others. The more you share it, the more you experience it. It's one of these crazy things. You can't give Jesus away enough. The more you give Jesus away, the more Jesus you get. So that's a question. Who in your life, who in your life are you helping find Jesus? Maybe for you, you're like, you know what, man, I've been following Jesus. I come to church, like I do some good stuff, but I haven't told anybody about my faith in a really long time. I haven't invited anybody to church. I haven't told anybody what God's doing in my life. Jesus didn't restore you just for your own well-being. He restored you so that you could help other people find Jesus as well. So who is that? I want to pray right now. I'm just going to close our time and... Uh, uh, I'm going to come down front. And if you need to make that bold step to come towards Jesus, he's calling and his arms are open wide. Let's pray together. God, uh, we want to be a people, a church that loves you, that follows you, that God claims the forgiveness that you offer. Jesus, I know how much I need it. You are still restoring me. I am a work in progress. God, you know that. When I fail... You call out, and in my finer moments, when I'm not trying to hide from you in shame, I turn towards you, and I experience your love and your forgiveness again. I experience your restoration, but God, I know your restoration isn't just so that I can have a great life. It's so that I can tell other people where to find that same restoration. And So, um, God, give me that burden for my friends and coworkers that don't know you. Not my coworkers. I work at a church. Hopefully they do. <laughs> people at the coffee shop, people in my neighborhood. God, I pray that for these folks too. Who, God, are you calling them to, to love, to bear witness to what you've done in their life, just to simply say this is what Jesus has done and you can have it too. God, I pray for anybody right now that you are speaking to, you are calling to them, and they've been trying to hide in shame, but today is the day they're going to choose to step out of the darkness and stop hiding and run to you and experience the gift of uh, eternal life that you give when we come to you. And so I, I pray for, for that person or those persons this morning, that they'd have the guts to come down and talk. Jesus, let us, uh, let us not just take what you've given us this morning, and leave it here in our seats, but let us take it out of these doors into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our families uh, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.